the notion of Jesus being preeminent, that he was God the creator, you know, and I like one of the phrases in there. It says, and though the world, verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10, he says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, and we are here celebrating Christmas this week on the Salty Pastor. My name is Jesse Mayer, I will be your host, and we are here as a dynamic duo to help guide you through your life. But ultimately, it's your life, you're the one that has to live it, and you're the one that has to make the choices on whether you want to learn to grow your faith and critically think better, or if you just want to sit and... Wallow <laughs> where you're at. <laughs> Boy, that is a warm and fuzzy. That is the warm and fuzzies. Warm and fuzzies. But we are here celebrating Christmas. Christmas. It's going to be joyful. We are talking all about the birth of Jesus and why it's important that Jesus stays in Christmas. So, yes. again, my name is Jess Mayer. I'll be your host. But more importantly, welcome back to the desk. The salty pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Always good to be here. Welcome, everybody. And yes, Christmas is such a powerful, powerful season in the life of so many people because it reflects core principles and values that thousands of years of society and culture have been built on. But it also points to the very essence of what Christianity is all about. So mm. it's a great season. I want to welcome you. And there's no better time to really uh, enrapture yourself in the entire season, enjoy it to its fullest, at the same time learning things that strengthen your faith, that strengthen your confidence. It gives you a sense of of perspective you may never had before. And so it becomes more than just a season of emotions. It becomes a season of strength and conviction and celebration. Well, and I, I love that we've been kind of working our way through all of the mm -hmm. book, the, all the Gospels, um, looking at different aspects of Jesus' birth. We did Matthew and we've done Luke. Now, what's interesting is the Gospel of Mark doesn't actually record the birth of Jesus. Um, it, it just begins with his baptism. We've actually been studying the book of Mark in, um, I volunteer in the youth group, um, and we've been going through the book of Mark, and yeah, it just starts in the, the baptism portion. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to be looking at the gospel according to John and uh, his record of the birth of Jesus, and it's certainly different to yeah. be sure. Oh, it's pretty unique, and a lot of times people will skip over it, but it's actually an accounting of the birth of Jesus. And so I think that's a really big deal. Uh, and we need to dig into it and see what it means. It was written last. The Gospels were written last. Uh, the Gospel of John was written last of all the Gospels. The Gospel according to Mark was written first. But uh, I think that it's written last, and it has a more spiritual angle to it. It kind of talks about what was happening uh, cosmically, so to speak. Well, and we've we've talked about how each um, writer of the gospel had a different focus yes. on how what what the, who they were trying to reach or what they were focusing on yes. in their gospel. And so you're saying 
you know, we've talked about Matthew, we've talked about Luke. You're saying John was more focused on the the cosmic or spiritual aspects of what was kind of occurring during the events of Jesus walking. Correct. At first, Christianity was considered to be a Jewish reform movement. I mean, when you read the day of Pentecost, it was during one of the religious feasts in Jerusalem. It was packed, and the people who came to follow Jesus at first were all Jewish people, and Mm. the leadership of the early church was all Jewish people. And so it wasn't until... Acts chapter 10, where the Apostle Peter had a vision that showed Jesus included the Gentiles in the gospel message as well. Then in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas set aside by the Holy Spirit to go and preach the gospel. And here is where we see a broad-based movement to share the gospel with all of the Gentiles, and a Gentile is basically a person who's not Jewish. They weren't born Jewish, they're not ethnically Jewish. So John's gospel is about establishing the doctrinal foundation of what is known as the incarnation. Uh, This is the doctrine that Jesus was God before he came to earth. And this is uh, representative of even the prophet Isaiah, who says, we shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's this, this principle that was different. Matthew was written to Jewish people to convince them of the Messiah. And so we'll talk about that in just a little bit more, but I think we ought to jump into this passage. Yeah, let me read how John describes the birth of Jesus in chapter 1 of his gospel. Um, so we'll start John chapter 1, and I'll go through probably about verse 14. So, Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. The entire belief system of Christianity is built on Jesus. And you see the preeminence of Jesus right here in John's description of how he came to earth. Uh, Another way of saying it would be in Matthew, you know, the birth of Jesus. And now if you were Jewish and you were, you know, reading uh, Matthew's gospel, you'd be very familiar with the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. Uh, The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Therefore, Matthew's gospel would be extremely convincing to you as a Jewish person. But what if you're a Gentile? 
right? What if you weren't raised in Judaism and you had little to no knowledge of Judaism? Then those prophecies meant very little to you. And so you're not looking for a Messiah to deliver Israel because you're not an Israelite, right? Mm. But what you were seeking is a Savior to free you from the pain and suffering of your life, the sins of your life, the regrets of your life, the the difficulty of life, and the, the you, you wanted to be delivered from the whimsical nature of the Roman pagan deities. You know, they were right. just crazy whimsical. They they were human beings, you know, with superpowers. So they were selfish and jealous and spiteful and all of these types of things. And people were like, yeah, this is not gods worth worshiping, mm. you know. And so we're just pawns and toys. So uh, if you're a Gentile, you're seeking... You know, something different. Is there a God who created me? Is there meaning and purpose to my life? Is there meaning and purpose in suffering? And so the notion of Jesus being preeminent, that he was God the creator, you know, and I like one of the phrases in there. It says, and though the world, verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10, he says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So we, people rejected him, even though he was the creator of the world. They couldn't see that he was the creator. They didn't quite connect the dots, so to speak. So this is why John's gospel is so important, and it needs to be uh, investigated when we're talking about the birth of Christ and celebrating Christ coming into the world. And it was driven by God. It was enacted by the Holy Spirit. And so there was this uh, God emptying himself, as Paul says in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, and taking the form of a bondservant, and then humbling himself even to death, uh, death on a cross. So this is critically important, I think, for Gentiles, and this gospel account of the birth of Jesus is critically important for Gentiles, because what it does is it has ramifications for every area of your life. Well, and doubling back to that portion you were talking about where he was um, in the world, but they didn't recognize him, mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of the story, again, I was just going through Mark with the youth group. Um, and we discussed the chapter where he goes back home to Nazareth after he started his ministry, mm-hmm. and he's like trying to teach them, and it says he literally, you know, he couldn't do many miracles there, and nobody believed him. Like they mm-hmm. were all like, "No, you're not. Yeah. Who, you're you're crazy. You're not who you say you are." I know we yes. grew up together, and it's very much a parallel to this exact same thing. He's like, "I was there in the beginning with you guys." Yes. Yes. And you still don't believe me. And we yeah. see this again in that story. So it's just funny that, you know, we see these parallels happen so often, often in the way God yes. does things. He's like, mm-hmm. this is exactly like, it's the same thing. I, I even put it out again and you still don't get it. Yeah, so, people miss it quite often. Um, so kind of coming back to this idea of the authors writing for different people, mm-hmm. when we were discussing Matthew's gospel, um, his focus was to attempt to convince the Jewish people yes. um, that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that would come and save the nation of Israel, the one that had been promised and prophesied um, by all these different people throughout the Old Testament. 
But John's focus is the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And his gospel showing that Jesus was more than a Messiah. He was God um, who came to earth in order to save us. He wasn't one of these flippant Roman gods that just came down to mess with us or cause havoc or entertain themselves. He came down to save us and... Mm -hmm and experience life with us. Yeah, and and what's interesting about this is that both of them are correct. This is the most incredible truth, and it is the power. Its power is in its uniqueness. Mm. It's an absolute truth. So it's an absolute fact, a reality that Jesus is God and came to earth, but depending upon your cultural upbringing or your background— you will experience it from a different perspective. Mm. You see, Jews must come to Christ uh, by acknowledging that he is their prophesied Messiah. Today, the biggest demarcation between Jews today is you have Jews for Jesus, and Jews for Jesus are, you know, technically they're Christians because they acknowledge that Jesus is Yahweh, he's God and the Messiah. Uh, Then you have Jews who are Orthodox Jews, committed Jews, uh, and they are still waiting for the Messiah. Mm. You see, they haven't accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, so they deny his deity or his status as Messiah. Uh, What's really interesting, though, is that you have a lot of different Gentiles and different aspects of Gentile followers throughout the globe, and it's your background that really has a huge impact on how you experience this absolute truth. You know, you might say it's similar. This is probably not the best uh, analogy, but it, it has some efficacy, and that is is that gravity is gravity no matter what. No matter mm. where you go, gravity is constant. But everybody has a different view of gravity, right? And different cultures treat gravity in different ways. And so it's really interesting if you go to Africa and you, you know, see some of the tribal ceremonies of the Maasai tribes, one of the things that they do is they jump and their ceremonies is that, you know, they're leaping and man, these guys can jump. I mean, it's just, uh, it is a phenomena to see how they're just standing there, you know, jumping they up and down. They don't skip is what you're saying. No, Pastor. and they just, I mean, they are getting, you know, 30, 40 inch verticals. I mean, it's unbelievable. They've been doing this whole life. And then, well, then you go to America and their attitude was, well, you know, uh, uh, gravity is a constant. And so what we're going to do is we're going to fly. So they fly, you know, they created, they figured out Bernelli's principle and they built wings and planes and Orville and Will Wright, you know, they were bicycle guys and now they build the first plane and now we're flying and that's how we defy gravity. Mm. And so it's really interesting. It's a constant, but cultures interact with that constant differently. And the point that I'm trying to make is that the fact or the reality, the constant truth is that Jesus is God and he came to earth and people then encounter this truth and then they embrace this truth and interact with this truth in different ways. Well, and we see that in so many ways people share their testimony. Like mm-hmm. I growing up, my grandmother drug me, drug me, <laughs> drug, that's she not even you? a word. Um, <laughs> she took me to church she took every to church, week. Yes. And so 
my faith has been part of my life since childhood. Correct. But then we hear testimonies during our FH Strong series of people who encountered them much later in their lives, and yes. they were living a completely different life, and they encountered him. And so yes. um, very similarly, that that's that's a resonant experience across the world, is whether you yeah. grew up in a faith, and then you are accepting Jesus as the Messiah of that faith, or you didn't know anything about him, and then suddenly he showed up one day and kind of slapped you around and said, hey, you need to be done with this and come follow me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's these different experiences is what you're talking about. Everyone perceives and inter- encounters him in a different way, and they have to, and it's all based on perspective and what they've grown yeah, up. Yeah, your culture grown up. Uh, there is, uh, I think it's Don Larson, he wrote a book called The Peace Child, and he's a cultural anthropologist, and he was a missionary, and he went to one of the few untouched people groups in Papua New Guinea on one of the islands, and they were cannibals. And he went to live with them and and kind of interpret their language for them and, and so that they could read the Bible. And so in, in their culture, what they would do is once you were accepted, the men would start a fire at night, you know, and they made it. They had this homemade kind of, a, you know kind of a fermented drink, you know, and they'd sit around and they would tell stories. And so he thought, oh, finally I'm in. And he tells the story of Jesus and, and how Judas betrayed him. And because they were cannibals, they liked Judas the best. <laughs> because what Judas did is he deceived Jesus. And that's what cannibals do is is cannibals aren't cannibals out of pragmatism. It's a spiritual thing for them. And that is you win the trust of your enemy and you get him to hunt with you and then you kill him and then you eat him and in the process of eating him you will get his power his power will come upon you and so what's really fascinating is so he tells the story about judas and jesus and they pick judas over jesus and so he's like well i kind of messed that up you know (laughs) boy that's not good how am i going to fix this and so what happened is this tribe you know had cannibalized a member of another tribe. And so there was a, and then that tribe had done it back. And so they were a, there was a blood oath between them. And so whenever they saw each other, they'd want to go to war. Mm. And so the chief finally said, you know, hey, we, we can't go to war and kill each other. And so we need to have peace. And so he tried to, uh, broker peace between these two tribes. And he said, okay, we're going to have peace. So the true tribes came together and you know what they did is they said, okay, here's one of our children and you, and we're going to take one of your children and your child is going to grow up in our tribe and our child is going to grow up in your tribe. That way we'll never steal or kill one of your tribe because we'd be killing our own. Mm. And so He's watching this, his cultural anthropologist is watching the ceremony, and he says, well, what do you call this child? And he goes, well, it'll grow up, it'll be called the peace child. Mm. And so he said, aha. And so he said, you are, God's in a tribe, and you're in a tribe, and you were at war with each other because of, of blood that was spilt, and Jesus became the peace child. And they were like, oh, he became one of us. Oh, and so then the entire tribe, both tribes became followers of Christ Mm. because of that. See, what it is is you have an absolute truth, right? But people experience it in different ways. And so I think one of the things is that uh, 
the the idea settled very early on in the first century church. You see, there was a group of people that said, um, look, if you're going to f- know Jesus and you're going to follow him in truth, that's not enough. You must also convert culturally to Judaism. And so um, th- this this has been a problem over time, not generally, but a little bit over time in history throughout the church where people would go in and say, well, Christianity is this culture. Well, no, actually it's not. Christianity is this absolute truth that Jesus is God and that he came to us to save us, mm. right? And that's that's the purity of the truth, the essential of the gospel, and that he died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. This is called the substitutionary atonement. And, and by atoning and taking on the curse of sin on him, he set us all free so that we could be righteous in the eyes of God because we were covered with the blood of Jesus. Now, this is the truth. Now, culturally, a lot of times people will take that truth, they become followers, and they put, well, you have to listen to this music or wear these clothes or you have to do these things or watch these ceremonies and you have to do this and you have to do that. Well, that's actually not true, you know. Uh, There is a purity or essential of the gospel. And so this group of people came in early on and said, yeah, you know what? You can't just be a follower of Jesus. You also have to become Jewish. You have to follow all the dietary laws, the dress codes, and all of all of this kind of stuff. And the church got together in Acts chapter 15 and said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't make it complicated. So what we see is there's an absolute truth that can be experienced from any different cultural perspective. The key is to not change the truth. Mm. You see, you, you, the culturally you'll interact with it differently. And this is what is so unique. This is why in Africa today... Uh, it is becoming Christian so much. Uh, 50 years ago, 3% of the population in Africa was Christian. Now it's over 50%. And what's really fascinating is over the last 1,500 years, that's 1,500 years, Islam has been trying to conquer Africa. And it's never, it, it's got Northern Africa, and then they've been trying to get across the Sahara Desert, and they've been trying to impose it on all of these tribes and people groups, but none of them are becoming. And the main reason why is because in Islam, there is a uniform culture. You have to dress this way, you have to eat these things, and you have to speak Arabic. You can't read the Quran unless you read it in the original language it was written, written in. which is Arabic. And so you go in and you're basically attempting to destroy all of these people's languages. And as everybody knows, language is a personification of your culture. Mm. You know, it, it holds the form and function of your cultural expressions. Consequently, uh, it, it has never been able to do that. One of, the, one of the biggest things and probably the bloodiest chapter in human history other than World War two in the civil war was when islam tried to go into india right and tried to conquer india uh and that boy that was a disaster that's why when gandhi was able to lead the indian nation out of the uh empire of britain and become independent the one thing even gandhi couldn't do is get the muslims and the hindus to be at peace and so a lot of people are not aware of this, but after India became 
independent in the late 40s, there was a massive migration of ethnic cleansing. And so all the Muslims went, fo- went north and they formed a new country known as Pakistan. So, and even today now, there's a region of mountains between Pakistan and India called the Kashmir region. And those, India and Pakistan are still at war today over that. Now, why do I bring all this history up? To show you that Christianity transcends these cultural boundaries, and it does it because it understands the purity and the power of a simple truth, and then it allows that truth to enter into a culture in its own cultural expression, and then it transforms that culture from the inside out. And and this thing has had powerful, powerful impact over the last few thousand years. For instance, if, if you were to look at the simple truth, only God has the power to save you and Jesus is God, then knowledge, uh, the uh, all knowledge, comes from God. So Jesus is God is the truth that created the greatest expansion of knowledge in human history. You know, uh, I was reading in a book, uh, Who Is This Man?, written by John Ortberg, and he, he writes the following. The historical impact of Jesus' thinking is so pervasive that it is often taken for granted. The record of his life and teaching of the Gospels have impacted the world so much that they have been translated into 2,527 different languages. The second most translated book, Don Quixote, has been translated into 60 languages. The Bible is a best-selling book of all time, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, and the second best-selling book of all time, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is the Guinness Book of World Records. (laughs) In the academic world, scholars keep score by how often an article they write is cited by other scholars. So even by this sheer secular score, Jesus' intellectual impact is unprecedented. According to Harvard professor Harvey Cox, the words of the Sermon on the Mount are the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history. Now, it may sound like an overstatement. John Ortberg concludes, it is not. So our capacity for literature and knowledge and its expansion, when everybody else was you know, getting rid of knowledge to suppress ideas, it was the followers of Christ, the monks in the uh Byzantine Empire, many of the monks in the monasteries that existed, even under Roman Catholicism, that preserved all of these things. And so because of this simple truth, Jesus is God, and he came to the world to save you, has, has expanded knowledge in ways we could never imagine. You know, it, let's say you're maybe you're not well you know knowledge and facts who cares i'm an artistic person i'm really into art and dance and music why are you staring at me like this (laughs) (laughs) you say you know artistic expressions is the fulfillment you know well guess what between 500 a.d and about 1600 A.D., 1700 A.D., which is the Renaissance. The Renaissance was kind of the 15th through the 17th, the 1400s to the 1600s. You know, what's amazing is this period of time, this 1100 years, 1200 years, was the greatest expansion of art in the history of the world. All music, all literature, all sculpting and painting, mosaics, you name it, happened during this period, and it happened because of Jesus. 
It's once Christianity conquered the Roman pagan gods, people say, well, the Romans were prolific. They're really into art. Well, actually, you need to dig into that. And that is that a very select few people in Rome, the hierarchy, the people at the top, were really into art, right? But the sheer volume of art was extremely limited. Mm. And today, the expansion of the arts to everyone, from the most common person, the poorest person, all the way to the highest in any political society, it unsurpassed because of Jesus. Uh, You could look at the whole issue of justice versus power. You know, we live in a society today, we we take this for granted because sometimes our justice system doesn't work. Mm. But but in all reality, what most people don't realize is that for thousands and thousands of years, the most powerful influence was power. You know, power determined whether you could enslave people or not. Power determined whether you could make the rules or not. Power determined all of these things. Whoever had the power made the rules. Roman society was built on a rigidly enforced social class. You basically had had patricians and plebeians. Patricians had senators and equestrians in it. Plebeians had freemen. But 90% of Roman society was peasant farmers, and they were poor. So 10% basically ruled everybody and owned everything. And you go into Western civilization after the fall of the Roman Empire, and you look between probably about the 5th century all the way up to the 1500s when you had the Magna Carta, is that we had a feudal system, which is a form of slavery, of economic slavery. You know, peasant farmers, they didn't own the land, they didn't own the food, they didn't own their labor, and they didn't even own whether they could fight and go to a war or not. Mm. They didn't own that. You know, it was up to the Lord and the king. The king owned everything. You see, and you were just given, it was given to you to use, but like a lease kind of a speak, uh, thing. Well, along comes the principle of justice over time. The number one aspect of what real justice is for human beings came out of the Bible and the teachings of Christ. Now, it would be an honest thing to say is that you had these giant bureaucracies like the Roman Catholic Church that at the time didn't apply justice. They did a lot of things, and this is why there was a Protestant Reformation. You know, they Mm. protested the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church, and then that took off, and then during that process, you had King Henry, who tried to institute the divine right of kings, and he says, I've been given the right to rule by God and God alone, and nobody could say that. And so, and then it was our founding fathers in America who said, that's a bunch of baloney, you know? That's just a bunch of baloney. And so what happened is the issue is justice, justice for all, and justice should be blind. Basically, what that means is the justice that works for you in the same way it works for me. And because we believe in the uh, sovereignty of the individual. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on about the implications of this very simple truth. But everybody agrees, whether they believe in God or not, that the light came into the world and we beheld its glory and the world has never been the same since. Amen, Pastor. Well, we are so excited that you guys have chosen to join us this Christmas week to learn a little bit more about Jesus, his impacts, and his life. Um, Ultimately, we do have some Christmas Eve services coming up on Friday. Um, So if you're a Salty Pastor um, listener and you've not made your plans for your Christmas Eve service, please 
um, take a look. Try to join us either on campus at 2, 3.30, or 5, or we have four online-only services. That'll be at 7, 8, 9, and 10 o'clock on any of our digital outlets. Yes, please, if you can't be on campus... Then make sure you get a little confetti can, and they you can pick these up on Amazon, super cheap. Or you can get them at like I think Walmart and different Walmart. places. All the New Year stuff is coming out, yeah. so that's what you're looking. They're for. They're not the little tiny poppers; they're the big ones, the big tubes. You know that they do at gender reveal parties and stuff like that. You want to pick some of those up so that while you're watching the Christmas Eve service, you can join in the joy with your family. And there will be a lot of joy. So thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Thursday for another episode. Merry of the Salty Christmas. Pastor Podcast. Yes.